Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Well, there you go. That was a very quick episode there, Mark. Um, I thought I'd let it run at some pace. It's, it's, um, it's course. Yes, it's course. Um, welcome to the Vet Gurus. <laughs> no, it is not the end of the show. Episode 295, Mark, 295. You think I'd get it right by now, but it's proving how adaptable and flexible <laughs> we are. We started, we ended, started my, at the end. My excuse, as always, is it doesn't have the title. I have two little intro blurbs up the top of this software program, and it always tricks me about which one is the intro and which one's the outro. So, welcome everybody. Thursday, May the 18th, 2023, episode 295, getting closer to that magic 300. And Send us an email and complain about the poor editing, <laughs> vetgurus at gmail.com. Mark, how are you? I'm great, Brendan. I'm great. I just sent you a picture of my current position in the world. Um, I am back at home after flying down the east coast of Australia and I'm sitting by the fire because, crummies, it's 20 degrees colder here than it is when I got well from and what it is where I got on the plane up north. Ah, uh, well, it is, I don't think it's much warmer here, Mark. I was about, I, I did say that we talk about weather um, during the um, chit chat here, and it it was a was a balmy six degrees, Mark um, Celsius, um, about when we first started chatting, and it's it's it's. I better take my jumper off now. It is. 11 degrees Celsius, Mark. It is, is soaring, and I think we're going to have a top of about 13 or so today. So, And I'm just looking on my weather app. There's a sheep grazier alert, Mark. Uh, <laughs> put your sheep inside um, and look after them is my advice for people here in Melbourne, Australia. So a little bit chilly, but we are heading into winter here in the Southern Hemisphere, aren't we, Mark? And how does it feel being back in your actual Home, Mark. Well, as I was saying off air, Brendan, it's um, it's it's good. It's home, and the uh, the little uh, um, there's a sugarloaf mountain in our area has um, some aerials on it. It's such a familiar um, silhouette. It just does make me feel like I'm at home. But I was saying that um, my younger son has been minding the home, and um, and. Up until this visit, it's always felt like coming back to our home and and uh, and Wilson was staying in it. But this visit, it sounds like, feels like we've come back and now we're staying in a familiar place that is Wilson's home. Like, you know, yes, the, the, the pebble has passed. Ah, uh, that does sound a bit strange, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, well, um, I'm sure you'll be spending the, the few days that you're back um, – cleaning up and, and repairing things, I expect. <laughs> um, you know what kids are like. Um, yes. So I think, Mark, we should jump into some news stories before we jump into our main topic of this week. And perhaps if – do you want me to take the first one or you? Uh, no, I'm going to look after the newfound frog which communicates via touch. Um, and the key thing about this story 
um, which uh, which talks about the spiny-throated reed frogs that reside in East Africa, is that this small family of frogs is um, is croakless. They don't make any noise. Um, I don't. I, I'm not even. I don't even know why that's the case. They live in um, dark forests. Um, yeah, it must be something about making How it evolved. Yeah, yes. which has, has disadvantaged them in that that, um, that environment. But the really interesting thing is some researchers were collecting frogs and they saw that one of these frogs uh, had just had a different, slightly different pattern, um, didn't look exactly like the, the other little frogs. They're only 25 millimetres long. And... Um, and they uh, did some DNA, realised that um, it wasn't the same species that they'd been dealing with, um, and turned up a new species, a new species of spiny-throated frog, which uh, communicate, uh, particularly, you know, the croaking is the way that male frogs attract female frogs to um, mate and procreate the species. So... These frogs have substituted those spines on the throat uh, as their form of communication. And so the female frog will find the male and give him a little tickle under the throat, braille fashion, to uh, identify that he's the right species. Um, and then they get on with the deed of making tadpoles. So, um, so yeah, really uh, interesting and interesting that they've gotten to this point that they are croakless um, and interesting that um, that there are you know, very subtle differences between the genetics that uh, um, are probably coded for in the patterns of spikes on the throat. So, yes, and not surprisingly, Mark, each frog species in that voiceless group are either endangered or vulnerable and they tend to live in little... Tiny habitats, don't they? Isolated domains there. So um, maybe they should find their voice, Mark. <laughs> find their voice. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, you wonder how why they've how it evolved that way, and it's a, a real disadvantage, isn't it? As um, I, I I think, um, well, certainly is now. Very interesting, Mark. Well, my one is a bit of a weird one, and it's um, just a, a a fun fact or a fun factoid. Scientists have mapped. I don't know, I don't know, Brendan. I think this is more than a fun factoid. It scares well, yeah. the living daylight. It's an out interesting of me one. Um, all of the nerve cells and virtually every connection between them in a larval fruit fly brain have now been mapped. Researchers have finally reported in Science Magazine or Science Journal in March. And previously, only three organisms, a sea squirt and two types of worms, had their brain circuitry fully mapped, Mark. So. The fruit fly mark, um, and they do share some wide range of behaviours with humans, according to this article. And um, I must agree with some of the people I've seen flitting around there, mate. Very annoying, and I want to swat them out of the way. Um, I tell you what, the, my, my takeaway from this one is the idea for the project came 12 years ago, Mark, uh, when neuroscientist Marta Zlatic in Cambridge decided that she wanted to then stitch them together using 3D rendering, Mark. Um, and all I can say is um, get a life, Marta. Um, <laughs> you spent the last 12 years doing this. Um, but 
oh, I tell you what, it's a beautiful looking, beautiful looking video there. That's um, I think they've uploaded it on on um, on YouTube. Mark all those connections and a bit scary. I, I think they got a little way to go to do the same with the human brain, Mark, because um, because we got a, a few more connections. Perhaps some of us like me. Not quite as many connections as some others, but um, what do you think of this, Mark? What, what's what's scary about it? Well, it's you combine this, um, you know, the fact that they've gone from those uh, sea squirts with a couple of hundred neuronal connections. Now they're at fruit fly level, fruit fly with about three thousand neuronal connections. Um, the direction is pretty clear. They're mapping brains and the, the patterns of them. And with AI at the moment and uh, computer power, um, I just feel like, well, there are times that I personally feel redundant in the world at the moment, but, um, but maybe that's going to happen to our species or, you know, like are we creating a, a Skynet is coming to get us. That's what I worry about, Brendan. Skynet, the fruit fly. <laughs> Fruit fly net, fruit fly net. <laughs> yes, um, and we will link. Well, I think we got a little way off to really panic about this, Mark. Um, <laughs> and things can be used for good, not just bad, Mark. Remember oh, now that? you sound like Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> and we will link to both of these at vetgurus.com, these um, fascinating news stories, Mark. I think we need to jump into some of our main points for our main topic. Now, we've sort of touched on this topic several times previously, but we're going to focus in on its aspect regarding nurses and veterinary technicians. Mark, how to deal with difficult clients. Gee. And I don't think there's anything wrong with dealing with this topic multiple times because there are, you know, there are multiple ways to look at Approaches, it. Approaches, um, but, uh, yeah, I like the idea of um, focusing on um, the reception and nursing staff and the way that uh, those at the coalface have to, um, you know, the general principles they can adopt that lessen the drama, as it were. Yes, and unfortunately what happens with some of those complaints when they're dealing with it up, up front at reception is they go back out to the head vet or the managers and the, um, what you don't want to hear is just deal with it. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and and sometimes people are still told that. So let's, you know, unfortunately, it's part of it's the nature of our business, isn't it, Mark? The service in the industry, you no matter how good your practice management is and how, how good your training is, um, you will still receive complaints, and you still receive, hopefully, only occasionally or rarely, the the rabid client mark who's who's ranting and raving up front in reception in front of everybody so yeah it's part of the business and 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 i think part of that dealing with this is realizing that that person in front of you and i and and i use this to deflate it as far as my own mind goes mark um they're looking at me and they're ranting at me but they're not ranting about me um, I think it's one of the main things in that. I think have- that's such a critical thing. It's very, very difficult for us as humans to dissociate ourselves from that situation because they are eyeballing us and they are yelling at us. And so it does feel like it's the full simulation of a personal attack, but it is not personal. It's not about you. They're angry about other things. They may even take language that 
leads it leads to you being blamed and drawn into it but they're angry about um, other things and and you've got to not take it personally it's not about you they don't even know you in most instances um, and so they couldn't conceivably be mad at you specifically yep. and they really aren't they're mad about other things so I think part of dealing with it is 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 having that sort of disconnect in realizing that they're they're upset, which is pretty damn obvious in front of you. But it is not about you, Mark. And people get emotional because it is an emotional situation, and typically it's dealing with something like a an injured animal or a, or a pet that has died, whether it's um, brought in and died, whether it's died in the clinic, um, dealing with an account, um, an unexpected bill um, for veterinary fees that they um, just are going to really struggle to deal with, and, and yet it's a much-loved pet. Um, so it's you know, really heightened emotions, isn't it, Mark? And and, and also the animal's very stressed as well and, and unwell yeah. and, and you know, that, that they may have, for instance, a, a, a large dog that's that has an injury and it, it's lashing out and, and, and um, trying to bite, you know, the, the, the staff there as part of that whole process and, and it can get very ugly. So it's a, I think it's a matter of slowly unravelling what's happening there and, um going from there so what's your what's your sort of process mark with with dealing with this it's the nurse or the, or the vet tech as they call it in in the states elsewhere um you have a have a client that's headed into the reception area and 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 you can hear this loud noise and, and ranting and raving going on so i think the first thing to do is um as you said not become personally involved set some ground rules um you're not going to accept uh, violent language, you're not going to accept swearing. Um, but otherwise, what you want to do is let them vent. You want them to uh, blow off the steam or get it all out there. And you want to validate their statements and use that process of active listening without dominating the conversation. So they might say, you know, I'm angry about not getting this appointment. I hear what you're saying the appointment and the scheduling is your main problem validate it by saying it back to them so they know they've been heard but i think the key thing is um let the kettle boil till the steam blows off yep exactly it's it's not the worst thing you can do i think mark is trying to interrupt them and 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 stop that especially in the initial initial vent there mark um yep. it'll just get them about to pop, I think. Um, so yes, and, and you've you made... got to realise too that um, that nothing you can say in that sort of little first bit is is going to like stop the process, or it's most likely going to inflame it. They're going to feel more constrained and explode more. And most of the time, there's a whole series of things, isn't there, Brendan? It's it might be the issue they have with the veterinary hospital at that time but it's that's often the straw that breaks the camel's back they've just been sacked at work their wife has left them they've, they've lost all their money on the melbourne cup and then they come to the vet and this is the thing that just pushes them over the edge yes exactly and one of the famous quotes from somebody is it's one of those um is um you don't know who kicked their cat <laughs> i don't know if you've heard that one so yeah. yeah it's it's you know you don't know what's going on in their life so you know not that that 
is an excuse for for raging um, at, at your staff, and I think part of that process at some stage is yes, it, realizing or, or stating that no, it's not acceptable for anybody to behave inappropriately um, with it, but we can understand that people become emotional and upset. So we let them vent, Mark. We let them um, state what's bothering them, (laughs) to put it mildly. Um, And I think you're spot on there in that once they've done that, and that's I think one of the other points I always state is silence is golden in this sort of um, um, negotiation um, in that often it's just, waiting just letting them vent and and having a few seconds or 30 seconds or 15 seconds 10 seconds where you you don't immediately reply you know and inflame the situation you just try and inwardly you might be struggling but try and appear calm and and just let them state what they're stating um and then stop and don't reply immediately just wait a few seconds 10 15 seconds so you're just deflating it and you're not not letting it run away at this rail, you know, um, um, fast pace there, Mark. It's um, an insightful comment, Brendan, because it, it that dynamic, irrespective of the words that are being said, if you pounce on the end of a sentence with them, um, then it does feel it like speeds a, it up, a confrontation. It? It, yeah. it accelerates, puts some accelerant on the process so it flares up. Um, just giving that, as you said, 5, 10, 15 seconds, Take a deep breath, um, maintain eye contact, be respectful, let them catch their breath as well, and then start afresh and with a calm voice. That that does take the wind out of the sails and leads you on to a different part of the conversation rather than having to deal with the anger. And I think the next step is probably to do what you said. Yeah, you state try and summarise what their complaint is. Yeah. And um, you're not admitting um, fault at all. Um, you're just literally restating in one sentence or two. Okay, so let me understand. Um, you're upset that we charged you $10,000 for the desexing of your guinea pig and wait for them to say yes or no. That's what, that's, yes. um, you know, the summary of the event. And, and I think that's a really important one because you need to be on the same same page as far as what's going on there and, and understanding and 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 resolving this situation. Um, it may not have been, and they might say, no, that's not what I'm upset at. I'm yeah. upset that 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 vet um, who discharged my dog um, was really treating my dog poorly and, and was dragging it out, you know, on um, in, um, with it muzzled and, and being really rough with my dog. That's what I'm upset about i'm not upset about the bill at all well and the other thing that uh, i always find i have to be careful of is that whenever you discuss the invoice there's not only the actual concern about the money but the value judgments that people feel are placed on the way the invoice is dealt with so by that i mean that lots of people will um not be able to you know the the um the the neurosurgery at a specialist centre um, might be a $20,000 bill and some people just cannot do that in in any way, shape or form. Um, but they will feel the people that they respect at the veterinary hospital might judge them if they can't. Um, and so understanding that um, sometimes money is a factor, 
that people might not want to make the main factor is a very important thing to, you know, not keep going at, oh, well, so you can't afford it. That, yep. that will just make people more angry often because they feel judged. Yes, it's not judging them and it's not making making assumptions um, of them. And it's like when you're offering options for the treatment or the workup of a case there. You, you give them the option of what you think is the gold standard, but they may not be able to afford that or, or want to do that for various reasons. And you need to respect that unless it's a, you know, a, a, an obvious um, an obvious problem with, with patient um, care. Um, you... Brendan, do you find when you, re- when you train your staff to get to that repeat their concerns, that's the... You've, you've let them rant, you've let the steam out, you've given them 10 seconds of silence and then you go, so I understand your problem to, you know, you're, you're upset because of A, B, C, D. Do you try and get the staff to use the same words that the client's used? So if the client has said, I'm upset because of four or five things, but no, the vet did leave a dag on the back of the dog as it came out, they did all this stuff and they couldn't even be bothered to clean the, the uh, poo off the end of the dog when they discharged it. Do you ask the the, um, the staff that might be dealing with this to use the same language back to the people? I think that's an excellent idea in most cases, Mark. Sometimes that is, depending <laughs> on what that language was. But, but yes, um, and, and that's being part of, I suppose, empathetic with 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 the way they're thinking at that stage, I think, Mark. Um, and and it's again, I think it deflates the the situation there. Um, yes. So my answer would be yes. And I think the next step there is deciding, okay, how are we going to fix this? How do we resolve the situation in front of us? And that may be, and it it may be asking that question specifically to the client. And I know that some some training. Um, situations they do recommend stating exactly that mark saying yeah. you know you, you say straight to the client what can we do to make this better or to fix it um, and and asking the client what do we need to do to resolve your complaint and sometimes that works fantastically doesn't it mark and i, I must admit I, I do not say that every single time but um, perhaps i should um and sometimes I say, well, just an apology from the vet who kicked my dog as he was um, being brought out into the waiting room um, is all, all they wanted and, and, and it solves the, the crisis or the apparent crisis. Yeah, yeah. And I find um, that, uh, that that's an excellent question to ask. What do you think we could do to fix this problem? And the often... The, the circumstance is such that um, whatever has happened with that person has happened, but they are keen for the veterinary practice to know that it made them feel this way very badly and that they don't want people in the future to feel that. So even the fact that you can't uh, change what's happened in that circumstance, many people will be satisfied if you emphasize that you want to understand what we can do differently to make it better because we can't make this better at the moment but we may change our procedures and protocols to uh to make it better in the future yes and i think that leads on to the next point there mark in that you need to have somebody 
whether it's that person who's been ranted to, the practice manager, the, the, the head vet, whatever, to own the complaint mark, um, that you allocate a particular staff member to it um, and that way it's followed up because the worst thing you can do, oh, the worst thing of if, if, if my only advice to new, new nurses is to not let it fester and, and ignore it and, and to be, be scared to, you know, contact your practice manager and saying, look, Mr. Smith was ranting at me um, last Thursday and I was too scared to mention it to you um, and it's been a week and now Mr. Smith has contacted the, you know, the, the local TV station and, and the vet yeah. board and also you don't let it fester. The, you know, the, the most, the, the best way to resolve it is to, do exactly that resolve it and resolve it fairly quickly within the, that day or, or, or within the next day or two and, and you state to the client that okay mr smith um i don't have the authority to 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 tell off the vet who kicked your dog but um i will get onto it i will give you a call this afternoon um i, I see you're upset um and you make sure you follow up with that that's so true, Brendan. And I, as uh, you know, I've been involved with um, a number of the uh, uh, registration bodies around Australia and been involved in complaints, assessing complaints. And I can tell you that um, one of the biggest uh, um, agents for the escalation of complaints against veterinary surgeons is the perception that they did not follow through on, on a concern. And so it is absolutely critical that, as you said, give a, a reasonable time frame, um, uh, explain to the client that I, at the front counter, I don't have the authority to make changes to this. I will raise it with the appropriate person in the business and either I or they will contact you within a reasonable time. And as you said, um, that reasonable time probably should be within, definitely within a week, but um, the longer you leave it, the more the client feel is likely to feel that you're obfuscating and trying to escape, uh, the, you know, dealing with the consequences of what they perceive as a problem. Um, and so promptly responding to them um, and having a specific plan in place when you do respond to them, um, not just calling up and going, oh, I hear there's a problem. Do you want to reiterate it? Actually saying, you know, uh, we've decided to institute a policy of wiping the dog's bumps before they go into their discharge. Whatever it is that solves the problem for the future, that makes a huge difference to those clients who are, uh, are struggling and having difficulties. Yep. Now there's a bit of a curly one here because the question for you, Mark, um, do you apologise to the client? If well, it is I, obviously something that, that has been done wrong by the clinic. It's a great question, Brendan, because uh, I think there's the thought out there that as soon as you apologise that there are legal implications, that somehow all of a sudden you're going to be, um, oh, you said sorry for that, so uh, that means it's your fault and you're going to be up for a million dollars in uh, um, uh, costs and fines and whatnot. Um, and I want to spread it as far and wide as possible to say that um, that, that is uh, not a real thing. It's not a, a real thing. Um, I don't think there's any situation I have known 
where the outcome of a complaint, now there may be um, real-world consequences to a bad thing that happens in a veterinary hospital. There may be a complaint to a board. There may be an adverse finding. Um, that pathway is never, in my experience, affected by someone saying sorry. That's not made worse. The, the, um, the circumstances are not made worse. I always think that it's good advice if you feel that um, there is some, uh, uh, you know, if there's a, a, an, a, an expensive breeding animal that's part of a, a, a program, a business, a breeding program that a businessman is trying to make money out of and so there's likely to be a, um, a civil uh, discussion, then approaching your insurer and asking their advice should always be part of the uh, resolution of those sorts of problems. But that's not for the front counter staff to, to decide. Um, the nurses and receptionists and vet techs who are at that coal face, they're not, they're not responsible for making that decision. And when they escalate it, the practice manager or vet who's dealing with it can say, oh, no, that's something we've got to contact Guild about one of the insurers here in Australia or whatever. Yes. But saying, I'm sorry uh, that, you know, it's self-evident that if a dog comes out of the consult room and has a, a dag on its tail after it's had a, a hip surgery, um, that's, I'm sorry that happened. We normally don't do that. And, um, and that slipped through the net. I'm sorry, so sorry that's happened. That's not a bad thing to say. Um, and it's an added bit of empathy and understanding. It confirms that the practice cares about those little things. Um, I would say don't be afraid to apologise for that. Never be concerned yep. that you said sorry. I agree. And slightly related to that, Mark, I, oh, sometimes it's good to just let go with some of these um, cases um, because there's always that um, traditional sort of approach in that it's a, it's a confrontational, um, it's me or us versus them and that we need to win. Uh, yeah. So sometimes it's just good to say, okay, look, it's a new client. Um, we had a consultation they everything went pear-shaped for various reasons we just butt heads and the client doesn't want to pay for the consultation um, let alone any of the medications let's just say there wasn't any medications sometimes it's good to just let that go and say okay you obviously don't get on with our clinic we don't have the same approach to dealing with life <laughs> and don't chase them for that consultation. Just, just let it, let it go, um, and you know you never see that client again, and you can sleep at night um, rather than worrying that okay we need to send that client off to the bad debtors, um, and you know what's going to happen there. They're going to be posting all over social media saying how Brendan's the worst vet in the world, um, and that he chased me for you know um, that, that they had the debtors knocking on my door to recover the the bill that i didn't pay um sometimes it's just let it let it go and um learn look i think that um that this is a really interesting point because i know that the staff that work in veterinary hospitals both the the um the uh, veterinarians and the um 
the uh, vet techs and support staff, receptionists and nurses, they put their heart and soul into that work. They are trying to do the very best they can under whatever circumstances for that animal and that client at that time, for every single client and animal that comes into the practice. Um, and so it is heartbreaking if someone thinks, oh, you're not, you're not doing your best for me. Um, it, is, uh, it is really upsetting. But sometimes there's just some people that, as you said, you're not going to connect with who aren't going to see the effort that you put in. And it doesn't matter how much you try to convince them if they don't see it. They don't see it and you've just got to let some of them go. And whether it's um, uh, letting them letting that uh, flare up at the front, front counter, counter happen um, and moving on or uh, divorcing, actively divorcing a client, sending them a letter saying that, uh, look, we, we are not our philosophies and and uh, work practices are not commensurate with your expectations. Um, and we believe that, um, that uh, the upset that you have experienced and we've experienced because of our interactions is likely to happen on a repeated basis. Uh, and we suggest you uh, will find more success taking your animal to another practice. That's a perfectly acceptable thing to do. Um, and, yes. Uh, and I think, you know, it... it it adds a level of support to the support staff when you're prepared to go, okay, that client's not for us, uh, and they overstep the mark and, and we're divorcing them. So I think a divorce letter is a good tool to have in the, in the uh, practice manual, Brendan. Absolutely, Mark. And the other, well, my final point would be mistakes happen. S-H-I-T happens, Mark. <laughs> And I think as we get older, we get a little bit more tolerant of the fact that we're making more of these mistakes as we get older. <laughs> and you need to state that to your, to your staff as well. So for the tech staff um, out front, um, it, it, the same happens as well in that you make a mistake, you double charge for something, you forget to charge for something, whatever, you you make a blunder in front of, front of a client. And I think that's all part of life generally and that you need to realize that okay and 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 hopefully i do still say that but um if, if that happens with staff I, I i just say well we made a mistake let's learn from it you know um and don't berate them about it you know so i think that as far as the management goes you should it, it, it's an important process of keeping um keeping your staff happy and 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 backing up your staff realizing that we're not all perfect None of us are perfect and we're going to make mistakes. Um, and the logical extension from that, Brendan, is in an environment where you accept there is going to be mistakes, you give yourself the opportunity to use those mistakes to make things better, to actually affect change. Um, and so an environment that understands there is going to be mistakes and then actively sets things up to change the protocols or the procedures yep. so that they don't happen will and show I think, improvement. I think most clients that are raging out front at reception with that complaint once you've let them vent you've stated what is going on back to them in their words and then if it is one of these true mistakes there that you then state that it is a mistake and don't be afraid to apologize as as we went over that often the the problem goes away and and it may even then be providing something 
extra to the client and 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 giving them a, a, a compensation, I suppose, um, and saying, "Look, okay, here's a for your your example, Mark. Here's a here's a little bum wipe um, for your dog <laughs> um, that you can use, um, and um, away we go." Um, so. Um, any final thoughts, Mark, um, with our little summary of example, how to deal with some of these different – and, yes, um, it would be nice to say that 100% of these go to plan and we, we do the process the way it should and everything's resolved, but sometimes things don't get resolved. And I think, again, it's a bit like mistakes happen, um, that sometimes things don't go well and, and it's a bit of a nightmare, but uh, the only thing I try to do – and the way I cope with those, Mark, is realising that that happens in all industries and um, it's an honest mistake um, and we're trying to do our best, And but it did go pear-shaped. And it does, it does hit you, doesn't it, Mark? And it does does knock you around um, when it happens and that's where the support of the rest of the clinic and the managers, et cetera, is, is, is so important there and getting you back up on your feet and realising that, no, you're not a bad person. Um, the fact that this client ranted at you, no, we've got your back and yes. um, we will continue to do so and we'll move on, we'll learn, we'll, we'll change our clinic policies if, if that need, need needs be. Um, and hopefully Mrs Smith, who walks in next, um, is um, the total opposite and everything goes perfect for that client and that patient. Well said. And I think Mr. Outro's here again, Mark, so we better get out of here. We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.